extension and it's not actually training the hamstring and it's like hey why don't you go ahead and just put them on a hamstring leg curl or an inverse curl machine yeah and now you can target the muscle and actually develop it to then do the thing you want to do well it's so funny you brought that up because you know now you're seeing this stuff like people it's so funny how like physical therapy is very cyclic as a field it used to be like quads were bad because you don't want to be too quad dominant and then so it was all about like to do knee rehab, all you should do is glute medius, which is like weird, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it's like, again, being too smart. And I fell for it a little bit too, with the whole like regional interdependence. It's like, it's never, you know, it's, it's never the joint that hurts. It's always some, it's always somewhere else. And if you're like, you're a simpleton, if you're doing knee rehab and you're working a quad, so like, let's only do clamshells and, you know, like band walks. Right. Um, and you brought up the West side stuff with West side people like only focus on the main effort movements, but after the main effort movements, it was like bodybuilding basically and bodybuilding right. it is was. like isolation yeah. and machine stuff. So that's where it's funny how some of this stuff, it's like, if, if you just work off first principles, there's no magic muscle. There's no one thing that's the most important. Um, and even now, like, you know, quads are coming back into favor. And I think now, the pendulum I think is overswing where like in the physical therapy world, knee rehab is like only about quads. And it's like, as long as you get your quads, as long as you build up your quad strength and you can like max out the crane st scale, like that's all you need. You don't need to do any kind of change of direction work or sprint progression because like once your once your quads good, just play the sport, and you'll get there. So I think it's it's swinging back too far the other way. But now that quads are back in favor again, it's funny because quads are in favor, but there's still people who are like, I'm not going to do a leg extension machine because it's a machine, it's an open chain. So you're seeing people take all these different, like whether it's lunges and squats and they're like doing it on a ramp or they're doing these like crazy, like reverse Nordics. And it's like, just do a fucking leg extension. Like you're, you're going, you're like being so creative. You're going out of your way to like isolate the quad and the multi-joint movement when you could just sit their ass in a leg extension machine and have them just like straighten their leg and like, it's going to work their quad. You don't need like 10 ramps and you don't need to do all this like stuff where they're like holding on to something and going on their toes and, doing a reverse Nordic and like they're in a limbo contest. Like I'm not saying that stuff is bad, but I feel like some people are doing it because they just don't like the stigma of using a machine. And it's like, it's okay. You can use the machine. You do it in private maybe if you're embarrassed, but it's like, it's way easier to just get them in a machine if you have one and have them straighten their leg against it. No, I a hundred percent agree with you on that. And I, I think it has just the pendulum swung so far where everything was only on the machines. And then it was like, again, it was the whole notion of, okay, if bilateral squatting, uh, you can get more stabilizer muscles on the, you know, single leg. Well, that was the whole reason behind getting off the machines. Stabilizer muscles need to do their job. You play your sport with your feet on the ground. You must train with your feet on the ground. But that's like you just said about the closed chain, open chain, um, change in direction, agility work, or bilateral, unilateral, it's it's not only machines or free weight, it's how do you handle the two? And you, I mean, you made a great point with the West side. It was max effort, back squat, RDL, deadlift, whatever. But then it was essentially bodybuilding yeah. as much weight as you can get big and strengthen those weak muscles. Repetition method was bodybuilding, right? Like it was max effort and then repetition. That was basically and the dynamic program. effort and max effort right. each day was always paired with repetition effort. Like, and if you exactly. look at the block periodization research, it's repetition effort was always okay. Quote unquote. And I put in air quotes for anybody listening with dynamic or max effort. Yeah. And it's funny. Like you brought up like the pendulum stuff. 
I remember when I was in high school, I hurt my knee in 10th grade. I basically, before basketball season, I had those like jump sole strength shoe things. The and ones with the big circle on the front to like yeah, I mean, get it's, good it's, at jumping? Yeah, I mean, it's like a recipe to get an overuse injury in your knee. It's like only do things on your <laughs> forefoot. And it was like a crazy- He's over toe, bro. It was a crazy volume of jumps. It was, it was like hundreds of jumps in a session. You're like sprinting in it. So I did their program. I did it three days a week. And I did it on concrete in a parking lot. Naturally, I had like a really bad overuse injury in my knee. And I missed my, basically my entire season of 10th grade basketball. Um, but like literally all I did in my rehab was the isokinetic like ascension machine. And now that's like kind of what we're doing again, you know, however many years later, like I was in 10th grade. So like 30 years later, a little less than 30 years later. Um, it's funny how like that's the pendulum's right back to like, that's the thing. Um, and it's kind of like, oh, if you don't have an isokinetic machine in your clinic, like you're not doing your job. Right. I mean, I, I recognize the value in, you know, single leg movements and, and open chain movements, but I'm not dropping 30 K or whatever for an isokinetic machine. But it's funny. Cause like, that's literally all I did. And now if you asked a lot of people, they would say like, that's the most important element of knee rehab is like that isokinetic testing. And, and so where are we going to be in, in, in 10 years? It's going to be somewhere else. And then we'll come back. It's just funny. Cause it's always, you know, tick tock back and forth. Now, for anybody that doesn't have the machines and they do have to go with the free weight options, is the whole isometrics, you know, for knee health, is, is that better? You know, slow it down, put them in that long duration ISO, that extreme ISO that people have talked about? I mean, so even with that, that the narrative of like, you have to do ISOs for that, I, I don't think, and this, this goes back to like, I don't ever do one thing, whether it's machines or free weights or bilateral, unilateral. I, I don't think there's one contraction type that is like optimal for any type of injury. I mean, even in the tendinopathy world, you hear like, first it was eccentrics because there was like one paper, but you know, and then it became isometrics. And here's the thing, like you have to, have to look at this stuff through like a common sense lens. If you have a really hot tissue, like a tendon, I mean, what's, what's like the most like stressful soreness eliciting thing you could do in the weight room eccentrics. So now you're going to take someone who's got like, a really hot tendon or like a muscle pull, let's say, and it's like, yeah, let's do eccentrics. Let's do it three times a day. It's like, well, that's usually the stuff that makes people the most sore and that like hurts the most and causes the most, <laughs> causes the most like micro trauma. So I'm not saying don't do eccentrics, but I think a good kind of rule of thumb is like, if someone is hurt or like, you know, is in pain, do the thing that they can do that allows you to like, you know, use the most, get the most loading without pain whether that's eccentric, isometric, concentric, typically that thing is not going to be eccentric when someone is like, you know, when they, when they, when they're, when they are in pain. But if that's for, for whatever reason, like if that's the only way you can get them to, you can load them without pain, then do it. But, and so I think there's a place for isometrics just because like, yeah, if you want to get better in a position, spend some time there. But I don't think that isometrics are like the best for anything. I don't think that eccentrics are the best for anything. I think people should use all those contraction types, but I think it's kind of a false narrative that like there's one contraction type that's ideal for any type. Because a lot of times, you know, quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. So that way you get notifications of when more content like this gets released. So click that like and subscribe button. And with that, let's get back to the show. I like to look at, well, how do we know that? And if you get to, how do we know that? Some of the, the isometric research is like, well, they put someone through like an isometric program 
and they did kind of like a tissue biopsy pre and post, and they saw like, you know, favorable histological changes with the, um, with the isometric uh, loading. But at the end of the day, like, yes, looking under a microscope and taking a histological sample of a tendon, that's important, but that's not actually, it's, it's, a, it's a surrogate for what we care about. Like we don't have like a, 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 a tissue biopsy Olympics in sports. We have a perform, and it's like, it's like your sport and your performance. So like do the thing that, do the contraction types that allow athletes to like perform at the highest level and like maximize loading. And, and, and cause if you're loading people that are in pain and you're loading them in a pain-free or a minimally provocative way, that's going to desensitize them. So like looking at things purely through a histological or a tissue centric, that's just one way to look at health. And that's one way to look at performance and rehab. That's not the only way to look at it. So again, like I, I think with any of this stuff, we should, when, anytime someone says this is the best thing, my like bullshit antenna is like really high up because there's seldom, there's seldom like one thing that's optimal or best. And so whenever I hear that, I'm like, well, how do we know that? And when you look at it, oftentimes it's, they're, they're the, how they came up with that is a little bit unsatisfying. It's like, yes, they looked at, they measured one thing, but that one thing is not the thing we care about. It's kind of like, and this is even, I mean, t- like, like saying, okay, well, this type of training is best for improving your VO2 max. But that doesn't mean that that protocol is like how every like runner should train because in running, you care about like how, how fast can you run your event? And, and like in an ultra endurance sport or an endurance sport, yes, there is a correlation between VO2 max and performance, but at the elite level, there's like probably a, a, a VO2 max you have to exceed or have to be competitive. But beyond that, they're not handing out medals, you know, in the Olympics and in the, in the marathon to the person with the best VO2 max. It's to the person that ran... 26.2 miles in the shortest amount of time. So just like a 40 in football, right? Like to play receiver in the NFL, you can't run like a 5240. You 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 won't be you won't be good at your sport. But you know, at, can can someone that runs a, a 45 be better than someone that runs runs a 42? Yes. So you have to have a baseline level of speed to be effective in your sport. But beyond that, again, like the 40 is a surrogate or a proxy measurement for performance as a receiver. And the things that we really care about are influenced by so many different variables. That's why to say that like there's one thing that's best for these very complex domains tends to be an oversimplification. And that includes contraction type with an injury. hundred percent. And there's tons of research out there too, about like the, what they call quasi isometrics, where it's just super heavy, slow concentric on the way up like that. There's right. research out there from Ebony Rio talking about how that is, you know, what you need to do. So it's like, man, there's just so many different ways to attract, uh, attack the problem. Totally. And, and I mean, that's what, that's, what's good is that we, we, we have options. Right. Um, but especially like early on when someone's in a lot of pain, like my thing is like, they have so much fear and inhibition and anxiety about moving apprehension about moving that I'm like, well, let's just get you doing something that doesn't hurt. And I am agnostic to what the contract contract contraction type is. Let's rewind a little bit. What was your, you know, Genesis story? How did you get into this field of, uh, you know, health and human performance? Yeah, probably pretty similar to a lot of people. It's like, I was the person that was like, liked training, but wasn't like that good at sports. Um, you know, so I went to college, thought I wanted to go to, uh, to med school, like went pretty far in that process, of, like taking MCATs, interviewing at med schools. And then, you know, and I thought I wanted to do something in sports medicine. 
And then I found out about um, this job in the Air Force that, you know, like search and rescue. When I, my senior year of college, 9-11 happened. So after 9-11, there was obviously like a lot more like just exposure to the military and the military became a lot more relevant because, you know, because of what happened. And so I remember seeing a Discovery Channel special on Air Force pararescue. I kind of like filed that away and I was like, oh, that looks cool. But, you know, I'm like, I'm a senior, I'm a senior in college applying to med school. I'm like, probably not going to do that. But then kind of the more I learned about it and researched it, the more kind of intrigued I was. And I ended up withdrawing from that medical school process and doing the, the pararescue thing for a bunch of years. But I knew that even doing that, it was, you know, there was like a huge physical element to that and like kind of the training background and knowledge that I have, like helped me prepare for that experience. And it, it helped me to like be better at my job and be more physically prepared for my job. But I knew that I eventually wanted to go back into kind of like the sports medicine or physical preparation world. I just didn't know in what capacity. And then I ended up kind of settling on PT, not settling as if like I was, you know, did it by, because I didn't have other options, but because I just felt like that was a better fit. I wanted to kind of combine performance with sports medicine and I wanted to be a little bit more proactive than reactive. And if I'd gone, you know, the med school route again, you know, there's like basically two options, you're either an orthopedic surgeon and you're doing surgeries or you're more of a physiatrist or primary care person. And in that case, you're kind of like more of a conduit between orthopedic surgery and physical therapy, or you're doing pain management, you know, like injections and stuff like that. And I mean, those things are all great. And I refer to those professionals and work with them all the time, but I actually like wanted to kind of be back, back in the gym. Um, but I also wanted to do something in sports medicine. So physical therapy, like kind of allowed me to do both those things. So then when I was like in my early thirties and I was kind of like getting off active duty in the military, uh, went to PT school, I was still in the guard for my, uh, my air force job. And I was able to kind of do both things for a number of years. And then eventually like once I, um, finished my air force contract, then I ended up doing the physical therapy thing full time. And, you know, kind of like doing my own practice with my two business partners, Greg and Trevor. And so that, that's kind of like the genesis and the evolution of the whole thing.